This morning, our scripture comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. I'll be reading from the 15th chapter. I'm reading from the Contemporary English Bible this morning. If you would, please stand as you are able for the reading from the Gospel. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, Joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, this morning may the words of my mouth, indeed may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today is the final in the series of uh, our identity as we've looked at who we are in God's sight versus who maybe we may be told that we are through other people or through our culture or through advertisers looking to remember that we are beloved children of God through Jesus Christ. Um, and so today is the last one of those, and as we, as we look at that, we're going to look carefully at this particular scripture, and I, and I want you to see how it's set up. So Jesus is out and teaching, and there are the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and, and those that are the interpreters of the laws and the scribes. They're sitting there, and they are grumbling because the identity of the people that they see Jesus with, you heard it, they're taxpayers and sinners, right? That's what they see when they look at those people. What Jesus sees when he looks at those people are beloved children of God. And so he hears this sort of murmuring on the part of the religious leaders, and so he breaks out into some stories. Because that's one of the best ways, I think, that Jesus teaches, and, and it sort of creeps up on you what their message is. But it's in that context of these people that are grumbling because the identity they see them with are tax collectors and sinners, and that's Jesus is trying to help them see them with a different identity. And so he breaks into story, and so he, he first talks about these lost sheep. Now, there was an agricultural culture at that time. 
So everybody knew what it is to have a herd of sheep. All you had to do was get outside the city walls and you would see the, those that are shepherds and with these flocks of different sizes, um, and they would move them around to keep them grazed and watered. Um, that was their, their life out there. So they, they all got that illustration. And so they're sitting there nodding when Jesus invites them to consider a person who has a hundred sheep. Yeah, yeah. We know people like that, that that's how they make their living. They're out there as shepherds. And then he says, and imagine that he lost one. And they're like, yep. You know, that's sort of the cost of doing business. There are predators out there who are trying to, to get a sheep and eat it. Uh, there are ways that they wander away. They fall off a cliff. There's all kinds. There's collateral damage when you are a shepherd and you have sheep. So, yeah, okay, you lost one. You got 99. And then Jesus says, wouldn't the shepherd leave the 99 and go in search of the one? And they're going, no, <laughs> no, that, that would be silly. You're leaving the 99 that you have and you're going in search of one that wandered away. But you want to see this from the perspective of the shepherd. Now, maybe if they're just a hired hand, right? You've got somebody, you're hiring them out there, and they're watching your sheep, and, oh, you lose one. Well, you write it down. You know, lost one sheep. Uh, report that to the owner at some point. That's just, again, part of the business of being a shepherd. But, but if those sheep belong to the shepherd, if they are their sheep, and this is how the shepherd spends their nights and their days. This is their living. They get to know their sheep. They look at one and go, I'm going to call you Flo. And then they look at another one and they go, you know, you, you bleat a little differently than the other one. I, I'm going to call you Joseph. And, and they get to know the little distinct personalities. So now all of a sudden it's just not a mass of sheep. They they know how each one operates and which ones I got to look out for and, and how they behave. They are important to the shepherd. And so the story goes, of course, this person would go out in search of the one that was lost. Now, one thing that, you know, Jesus did not have in his time that we have the benefit of today are neighborhood Facebook groups, <laughs> right? He didn't have that. Because I'm in the Eagle Springs neighborhood Facebook group, and so from time to time, that group is used for our dog dug out. Here's a picture. Has anybody seen our dog? Um, or we found these dogs wandering around, taking a picture. Do they belong to anyone? And often, it is a really happy ending. And through the Facebook groups, they are restored. Um, uh, but Jesus didn't have those back in those days, or did the shepherd. And so the shepherd had to go out on their own to go and find those. So he tells that story. Then it, he follows that story with one that might be a little more buy-in uh, with those that are listening, because he talks about a woman who has 10 silver coins. Probably, uh, the commentaries say, a drachma which would be worth to about a, the cost of one sheep or maybe a tenth of an oxen, a tenth of an ox. I always say that wrong. Uh, um, and so um, it's, it's a valuable coin. There were ten. She lost one. She misplaced it, and she is going to turn her house upside down to find this valuable coin, probably one that they would actually more understand. And we do too, right? Don't you lose things around your house? Doesn't it happen all the time? 
Well, so to research, you know, the, the in-depth research that I do for my sermons, I, I went to, you know, Google and, um, and saw that according to uh, a survey that Pixie app did. So Pixie is an app that helps, it's a locator service, right? So they did a survey. The most frequently lost item in the American household. Oh, well, keys would be a good one, but it wasn't number one. The remote, the remote. <clears throat> they said that the remote control, 45 of us misplaced that um, at least once a week, 45%. And 71% of us misplaced it at least monthly. Um, next come phones and car and house keys and glasses and shoes and wallets and purses. Um, it's, they said that one out of every five Americans misplaced something important every single week. They went further to sort of drag this out as far as the amount of time it takes that we spend looking for lost items around our house. Um, that it takes, we, we use up about two and a half days out of every year, <laughs> if you add it all together. Just looking for things that are lost. I would call that a first world problem. I don't know about you. We all have that experience of, of losing uh, either an animal, losing a thing in the house. Some of us um, when we're honest, we've lost other things even more important. I, you've lost your child. Own up. If you're a parent, you've lost your child somewhere along the way. I've lost mine in a mall, in the Sam Houston National Forest, at Schlitterbahn. <laughs> they, they're pesky. They get misplaced. Um, and there is a great deal of celebration <laughs> each of those times. <clears throat> there is an old country and western song called The Cat Came Back. Yeah, um, that always seemed to come back. Um, I digress. When we lose someone who's very important to us, would you ever stop searching? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wasn't about to leave the mall when Laura darted into a store when she was like five years old and I had to keep circling around until I found her. I, I wouldn't have gone, eh, you know, she'll show up someday, I'll go home. No. I would never have stopped looking. The third story in the, in the group of stories that's being told here, there is a story about a lost son. We know it as the prodigal son, so that's your homework for the week is to read the rest of Luke chapter 15 because this is a set of three stories that Jesus told together that sort of ups that ante every time to try to get those who are grumbling about him being with tax collectors and sinners to see the value of each person in the eyes of God. And so he tells the story that we know the prodigal son story. You know how that goes. He goes away and wastes all his inheritance, and then he comes back very repentant, and the father is already welcoming him back, and the elder brother is standing there tapping his foot saying, I'm not going to celebrate for this person. Jesus says over and over again, there is celebration. There is a party in heaven every single time. Someone who is lost is found. Friends, we've been lost. And every time we turn our attention back to God. We, we get lost in an identity other than beloved child of God. And when we turn back, there's a party in heaven. 
When one who seems lost to us is out there wandering, God never rests until that one is brought back into the fold, the family of God, and then there breaks into a great party in heaven. It says over one who repents. And so repent mean repent means to change your direction, right? So you're going this way, you're buying into an identity that is somehow less than that of, an, of a beloved child of God through Jesus Christ, and you turn and you go a different direction. Scripture tells us that when anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. We are made new, and there is a party in heaven. I've told you before, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139, and the particular part of that today is when the psalmist is pondering, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go all the way across the earth and settle on the farthest side, nope, even there, your hand will guide me. If I go into the darkest of dark, even dark is as light to you. If I, if I settle in the deepest of the oceans, you're there. If I go to the highest of the heavens, you're there. The psalmist realizes there's no place that God cannot reach and always inviting those to come into the knowledge of our identity as a beloved child of God. And so where the religious leaders looked and saw who Jesus was hanging around with and what they saw, they didn't like. They saw the identity of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus invites them and invites us to know, to see them as beloved children of God, that God is ready to celebrate. There is a cause for celebration for every individual, because that's how God knows us. We're not just some flock of sheep to God. We are individuals and individually known by God. And he throws a party for each time each person turns toward God. Can you imagine the celebrations in heaven? Which then made me think, you know, wonder what everybody's sort of image of God is. And it, it matters because when you go to pray for that God or when you're trying to serve that God, it matters about how you view that God. So when you think of God's face, is it a face of a stern parent or grandparent who's tisk, tisk, tisking um, and looks with this disapproving look? Is your image of God uh, uh, sort of the great policeman in the sky who is waiting to see for you to mess up so that, gotcha? I, I invite you in this parable for this lesson to consider that God throws the best parties ever. That God is a God of celebration and laughter and happiness and belovedness for all of his children. That's the image that Jesus had and invites us to have. And as Christ's presence in the world today, that is the church, the body of Christ, our job, our one job is to help people find their true identity in Christ. Reminding each other who we are and whose we are. That's why we gather on Sunday. One of the reasons, I mean, I know you come for the fabulous music and the 
absolutely inspirational messages. Um, but really, we need each other. We come because we want to look in the eyes of the other folks that are here and realize we are not on this journey alone. We need each other. We spend a week in between Sunday and Sunday being told by the rest of the world that you're less than, that you're not enough, that your best efforts aren't quite measuring up, that you're not this enough or not that enough, that, that you're not enough. Man, we should come running on Sunday morning because we need to gather together to hear again and to look in the eyes of our brothers and sisters in Christ and go, oh, yeah, that's who I am. That's who I am. I am their sister and brother in Christ. I am a beloved child of God. We need that. That would be a great place for an amen if you were an amening group that is, uh, you know, I get that. Um, we need to be together. Um, and we're invited as Christ's body, the church, to help others see themselves in that way as well. And friends, the power that we have to either help other people see themselves as beloved children of God or it's just a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. It's an immense power, and it makes a huge difference. And it starts with hospitality. Hospitality not because we just want to be friendly, but hospitality because we truly believe that each person is valuable to God, and therefore each person is valuable to us, and we can't wait to get to know them and invite them into the family. So I want to share a story. Forgive me if I've shared it before, but you'll get to listen to it a second time if I, if I have. It's a story that I read from another pastor, and it involves a, a young man who was in his early teens who found himself at church, not by choice. His parents, you know, had him come with them every week, and his parents and his kid brother, they just were so involved, and they loved everything about it, and he hated going to the church. For him, it was just full of a bunch of self-righteous people more worried about their building than about people, and certainly about people like him. And so he came, yes, but he sat as far away as he could from the front, and he settled down into the pew and pulled his ball cap down over his eyes so he could catch his Sunday morning nap. <laughs> and as he sort of settled in and crossed his arms and closed his eyes, getting ready for this nap, he felt a tap on his shoulder. And as he looked up, he saw a woman's face that he did not know, and he thought, great, I'm probably sitting in her pew. <laughs> She's going to tell me to move, and then, you know what, I'm just going to go home because I don't need this. That's not what happened. Instead, she handed him a, a large, unopened bag of butterscotch candy and said, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I brought these butterscotch for you. I heard that you like them. I like them too. There's not many of us around that love butterscotch, and I wanted you to have them. Well, that young man didn't open those butterscotch for a long time. 
Instead, he took the bag and he pinned it to his wall in his bedroom right next to his heavy metal posters and his guitar and, and his poems about pain and about longing as a reminder to him of grace, of hospitality. Years go by. This same young man has now indeed turned into a young man. He's leaving his teens and beginning his young adulthood, and he finds himself in a different church on a Sunday morning. Now, he hadn't come for the wonderful music or for the inspiring message. As a matter of fact, if he timed it just right, he would miss all of that. He came because someone that he loved invited him because it was a special day for that person. And so he, had, he got up that morning and he showered and, and then he took his long hair and he pulled it back and held it in place with his ball cap and off he went. And as he came in the doors of the church, as the service is almost over and he's going to stand out in the narthex to wait for his loved one uh, for this special day so that he can, he can be a part of this day, he's sort of looking around and, and he hears a voice behind him that says, young man, he turns and smiles and holds out his hand, and he's surprised when the handshake is not returned, and he is speechless when the words that he hears are, son, you either take that hat off your head or you go outside the building. The truth is, we all have the ability to be the butterscotch lady or the hat man. We all have the choice to see people as tax collectors and sinners or as beloved children of God. Once upon a time, someone made room in the church for me when I didn't have a clue about life, and I was probably a pesky teenager. Once upon a time, People made room for my family in the church when I know they were pesky teenagers. <clears throat> you all make room for my beautiful grandchildren in this church. Don't you pray that someone somewhere is making room for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren? We have the choice to see people as tax collectors and sinners or as the ones for whom God throws a party when they begin to understand themselves as beloved children of God. Friends, I pray that we will choose to celebrate. Let us pray. Gracious God, Lord, we ask you this morning, first of all, if for those who may be even in this room today and, and see themselves somehow as less than your beloved child, that, Lord, your Spirit will speak to their heart and remind them that they are loved, that they have a purpose, and that you will never stop searching for them. God, we ask that you would be with all of us as we recognize the power of our words of welcome, of our actions toward others, our great call to be a part of your great celebration, as through our actions people may begin to believe indeed that they are beloved children of God. 
and that we may celebrate with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.